This is Naturally Strong, the show that helps you use your powers for good. I'm your host, Cameron Nelson. In today's episode, we'll discuss the history and science of mindfulness, as well as topics that fall under the umbrella of mindfulness. What you might not know about mindfulness is that it's actually an ancient concept. This has been around for about 2,500 years in the tradition of Buddhism. The purpose of mindfulness in this context of the history and tradition of Buddhism was to use insight into self to eliminate unnecessary suffering. In other words, this is like street smarts to manage the mind. So sometimes I think when we think of Buddhism and Hinduism, some of these other long-term traditions that have been around in Eastern countries for such a long time, it seems like some of their practices and activities almost seemed to entice or incite suffering. But that's actually the more you know about these Eastern religions, they actually were trying to eliminate unnecessary suffering. There's suffering that has purpose, that has um, intention behind it to help us become more aware and to transcend our current existence. That's not the same thing as harming yourself to suffer but like they so there's a lot more conversation that we could have here um so just trying to maybe um reconcile these ideas that we're not fasting to harm ourselves or cause suffering we're actually fasting to relieve suffering Mm. um so some of these other types of activities so mindfulness is part of some of these other activities to actually relieve ourselves from the um unnecessary suffering that we sometimes pull upon ourselves by our own decisions and that also just exists in the world um so we have this huge history right of of this ideas of mindfulness but it wasn't until like the 1920s where mindfulness was actually um became part of an english dictionary was starting to be used it wasn't until the turn of the 21st century that mindfulness became a large part of therapy and psychology and there's been a lot of research around mindfulness and its effectiveness to help alleviate symptoms of mental illness disorders such as depression, anxiety, PTSD, etc. It's not a silver bullet. You're not going to be able to cure yourself with mindfulness. That's not what this is about, but it is definitely a um, component of health and wellness that can help with mental illness. I'm going to turn some time over to Emma. Thanks, Dr. K. So as is the case with like pretty much everything in psychology, a lot of people define mindfulness in a lot of different ways. The definition that I've found in a lot of the research is paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, and non-judgmentally. So the way that they boiled it down was saying that there are three like pillars, three axioms of mindfulness. So there's intention, attention, and attitude. So intention is um, like doing mindfulness on purpose and the goals that you have for mindfulness. As with pretty much anything, the goals that you have for the activity influence the outcomes of that activity. And then attention is like observing the operations of your internal and external experience. And it allows you to learn from what you're observing. And that's part of that like healing therapeutic part of it. And I think a lot of the misconceptions with the attention part is that you have to like think about only one thing or think about nothing. 
Um, but that's that's not true. You don't have to think about nothing. You're just paying attention to what's going on. You're noticing those things. Interruptions aren't inherently a bad thing. It doesn't mean that you failed at mindfulness. <coughs> An attitude, that last axiom, uh, the attitude that you have towards your experience influences what will happen. So you can notice something and then be really judgmental about it like be like oh I can't believe I had that thought but that's not really going to be very therapeutic or cathartic for you and so if you have like a non-judgmental compassionate attitude towards yourself and your experience that's going to allow you to get the most out of mindfulness and some definitions of mindfulness also include having like an open and curious mind as part of that attitude part, which makes a lot of sense because that's going to maximize what you're learning from that mindfulness experience. I have a quick question, Emma. Mm -hmm. Can we take a second and discuss maybe, I think all of us use mindfulness. I mm -hmm. think all of us, I mean, maybe sometimes more regularly than <laughs> at other periods in our life. Like we all have a lot going on. Um, can you think of a time when you were using mindfulness with a specific goal in mind? And is that okay for you guys to share that? Let, like, what are your goals mm -hmm. for mindfulness? Let, let's focus a little bit on intention for a second. And, and I think it probably changes, right? Like, like, sometimes I'm using mindfulness for this, and sometimes I'm using it for that. But can you think of some examples of how your goals for using mindfulness sometimes? Mm -hmm. So I used to be really afraid of driving, like terrified of driving. So I, I tried using mindfulness while I was driving. Obviously, I was still paying attention to what I was doing, but like being mindful of that experience and what was going on to try and um, not focus on the panic as much. Like, oh my gosh, I'm driving. I'm in a giant vehicle. I'm going 60 miles an hour. Like instead trying to be like, okay, this is what the steering wheel feels like. There's these people. This is what the scenery looks like outside and trying to use that to calm down. My goals were just to not be as scared of driving because that's not a super adaptive trait in today's society <laughs> no it makes it hard especially when you live in rural montana yeah, there's areas. no public transit there's nothing right and there's no way to get to places like we have long distances mm -hmm. that we have to drive which also goes back to the point that you made emma about attention like you're not focusing just on one thing mm -hmm. you can use mindfulness during activities that are incredibly complex it's not just about focusing on one thing and ignoring everything else so that was a great like addition to my goal was to reduce my anxiety about driving and I'm using mindfulness to pay attention to all of these things that are going on in a complex activity like mm -hmm. driving so thanks Emma anybody else Katie what do you have I like to use it to regulate my nervous system, honestly, because, nice. I mean, yeah, calming down. I think that's my number one reason for using it because um, I just, I mean, I get a lot of anxiety and sometimes that, you know, spills over into rapid breathing and feeling like out of control. So um, using deep breathing to regulate your heart rate mm -hmm. and bring yourself back down and slow things down and then um, just some, like, grounding techniques and just simple accessible things just to calm down and, like, bring myself back to reality and out of my own head for sure. That's really cool. Um, I use it, like, I use a lot of the things with my kids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's just really easy to get caught up in the minutia of your day of, like, we have to go here. We need to do this. We've got to get this done. This has to be clean. And it's really easy to lose focus on like the really beautiful moments that happen with your kids and 
to allow them to do things like play without worrying about cleaning up or the mm-hmm. mess. or And so I have to practice mindfulness in those moments of like, this moment is more important than the goal of whatever this day was. So we just need to enjoy it. And also it's fleeting and they're young and it's changing fast. So Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I think I often, the, the two goals I, I use mindfulness for, one is sleeping, um, so, and we'll talk about that a little bit in, in the next um, section of, of um, our mindfulness podcast. Um, so I, I, I need to, it's, self, it's regulation, right? Like, like I need to calm my body down, I need to calm my cognitions and my mind that's racing down so that it can move into a different, my brain can be active in a sleep state. Um, so I use mindfulness a lot for sleep. And then the other thing is to increase my gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have gratitude or appreciation of beauty and excellence anywhere near my top seven or ten. Um, <laughs> and so I, I have to be really mindful to be grateful. And I do this often. I notice it most a lot when I'm texting. Like someone will text me something. And like I might have a student say, you know, hey, Dr. K., this is going on in my life. I'm going to get caught up in, you know, I'm behind in a, in a, on an assignment or something, and this is my plan to get caught up. And I, I text back or, or email back, um, I agree with your plan for blah, 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 blah. And then I go, okay, they just expressed to you something that's happening in their life that's personal and hard. Like you need to go back and you need to say, thank you for sharing that with me and pay attention to that experience that they're having and then take care of business. So kind of similar to what you're saying, for me, that's gratitude. So I need mindfulness to help me be grateful. I'm, it's just not one of my top character strengths for sure. Mm-hmm. I can get there, but I, it's, it doesn't come automatically for sure. So I have another question for all of you guys. It's kind of a two-parter. So out of intention, attention, and attitude, which is the hardest for you? And also, which do you think is the most important? They might be the same one. They might be different. I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that. So um, the one that's historically been the hardest for me is that non-judgmental attitude. I actually didn't learn that that was supposed to be a part of mindfulness until last semester, until spring semester when Dr. K taught about it in a class. I'm like, dang, you're not supposed to be judging yourself in order for like self-healing and growth. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) Yeah. But I do think that attitude and intention are kind of a little bit, a little bit similar. They're different, but they're a little similar. Attention is a given for mindfulness, but intention and attitude really shape what you get out of that experience. I definitely struggle the most with attention. My mind wanders. So remaining attuned is very difficult. Uh, But I think the most important one for me personally is my attitude going into it. Mm -hmm. If I look at it like it's a burden, I'm not going to get a lot out of it. But if I treat it like it's this gift and a really wonderful experience, then what I get out of it is so much more special. I definitely struggle with attitude. (laughs) (laughs) I'm notorious for a bad attitude sometimes. Um, and I really have to be pulled out of that and use my intention and attention axioms to kind of pull myself out of that because, I mean, I, I can become pretty um, critical of myself as well as, you know, situations and around myself. And just I just jump into overusing judgment mm-hmm. <laughs> and just overanalyzing and picking everything apart 
instead of zooming out and realizing, you know, this probably isn't going to be that big of a deal tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and it's wow. probably going to solve itself within 10 <laughs> like hours. Um, so I think I really struggle with attitude, but um, a lot of that too can be like surrounding yourself with more positive people who mm, definitely who, who can offer you perspective and say, hey, I, and be honest also with with me too and just say, hey, you know, I think you might be thinking about this a little negatively or I think you need to chill out. Perhaps yeah. we're catastrophizing, just maybe. <laughs> just possibly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, definitely grounding myself to, you know, neutralize that negative attitude and kind of, you know, widen the lens on the perspective there for sure. Thank you, Katie. I think they're all equally hard for me. It kind of just depends on what's going on, too. So um, I don't know that one of them in particular is more difficult than the others. So uh, that's one of the reasons I use apps mm-hmm. is to that helps me with my intention. I get the reminders pop up on my phone and say, did you engage in this today? And I'll be like, okay, fine. No. I will do the thing. Um, so, so I do have to use other things to help me to engage in mindfulness practice, and they're all difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience is this isn't necessarily mm, well. Yeah, it is, and and it's similar to what you guys have said. I think I think that one of the most important things is the attitude, especially the non-judgmental. So that's my experience as well. And introducing mindfulness to clients in a therapeutic setting combating judgmental thinking about yourself and the world and others is so difficult. And um, so I think that's really, really important for helping yourself and others is to change that mindset, to start to shift it very slowly to something where you can, for two or three minutes, be non-judgmental about yourself, others, the world, the future. Mm-hmm. I think that's really critical to moving forward, especially with depression and anxiety. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. K. So uh, mindfulness is a really cool concept, but it also kind of encompasses, it's like this umbrella over a whole bunch of other concepts. So we're going to talk about a few of those today. And the first one is savoring, and Katie's going to tell us more about that. So savoring Mm -hmm. um, is redirecting your current or present attention to um, things that give you or kind of enhance your positive emotions instead of focusing on things obviously that are negative Mm -hmm. and reproduce negative emotions. Um, So it's similar to mindfulness, except that you're only being mindful of positive experiences, emotions, like people. Um, And it can involve things like food, conversation, exercise, scenery, you know, um, all those kinds of things. Um, And there's different kinds because you can also be in the present moment, but there's also a few types of savoring. So there's reminiscing, which is savoring specifically the past. And then on the opposite end, you have anticipating, which is savoring the future. Um, So when you're savoring regularly and utilizing it, leads to, you know, longer and more enhanced and more positive emotions, experiences, improved relationships as well, like overall improving your general mood. So in order to savor experiences or use your savoring abilities, you don't necessarily have to have these amazing over the top, you know, experiences. They don't have to be the best moments of your life to use the savoring. You can focus on one aspect of a situation that you can savor um, just even like if you have dinner with your family and you don't really like, you know, your aunt made meatloaf and you're not that happy about it, but you're (laughs) like, you know what? She made mashed potatoes and those are my favorite. 
and just savoring that in and of itself, that little moment. Like, I, you know, I love this one aspect of this meal, so I'm going to focus on it and savor it and enjoy it. Um, that's a way that you can savor something that might not be the best experience or your favorite thing in the world, but there's an aspect of it that you can focus on and enjoy. Even in um, more difficult situations or situations that, you know, you're not enjoying or are just a struggle in general, you can always find a silver lining. So you can use perspective or you can use gratitude um, and, you know, take those things and find that silver lining in there um, to savor that. This, this sentence reminds me of like when clients or my kids or somebody else comes to me and says, um, I really don't like this thing, right? Like, I don't like this class. I don't like this professor. I don't like this whatever, right? Activity. I don't want to do this. And um, I always think of find the one thing that you can take away. Mm -hmm. seek for the one thing that you can take away that's sort of like savoring um in, in a situation that's hard or difficult find the one thing that you can take away thank you dr k um are there any situations that are harder or easier than others for you to savor and what are they so i think for me when I am in a situation with a person that I'm feeling tension or distrust or disconnect with or even flat out dislike for, that, those are situations for me. Even I mean, it could be one person in a group of 40, but if that one person's in that group, I find it really, really hard then to stay present and f savor of all of the other experiences that can be going on. I get distracted by this negative stuff that's going on, thoughts and feelings about one human being in a situation that I may be actually able to gain lots of positive things from. I get it distracted instead. Mm. So trying to savor and stay focused, using some mindfulness and savoring in the in the moment to, to be as present as possible with the other things that I'm actually in that space to be doing. Does that make that makes sense? Okay. I feel like I get demand avoidance. So <laughs> when someone asks me to do a task, I am less likely to savor it. Whereas if it's my own idea, then I'll be like, oh, I enjoy doing this thing. But the moment <laughs> it's an imposition, I'm suddenly like, I don't want to. I can't believe you asked. Like how the audacity to ask my me. My goodness. And, and now, I've, even though I probably would have enjoyed this thing, it's the fact that it has been an imposition that I am now like, no, I don't want to. But the moment someone's like, hey, can you um write that thing up? And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> I could, but I'm not gonna. Ten to twelve business apply for a grant. Ten to twelve business no, days. No, I don't it. think I'm gonna do that. Grant writing. Those ones aren't. So if it's a part of my job, it's more just like this sudden imposition of something I didn't expect, and I'll be mm. like, even though I would have enjoyed drawing that picture, right? If I had to draw because it was a job, I'll be like, mm. uh, suddenly I don't want to. So I have to kind of yeah. use my perception, just trick myself into remembering I enjoy this thing. I like this. <laughs> and I should savor this moment. Yeah. Good example. I find it I find it really easy to savor situations when I'm by myself. Like I go for a walk every morning and I'm like, this is the best. This is what being human is all about. <laughs> I love going for a walk. I'm like, I am I am at one with the universe. And then the minute I have to like go to like a family dinner or <laughs> like like trying to sit through class when people are asking stupid questions, not you guys. <laughs> Um, I just, I have a hard time savoring those. So mm -hmm. that's probably because I'm so low on my teamwork. I need to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> but, and it's really interesting because I, like in terms of reminiscing, I, I savor past experiences that involve people, but I have a hard time savoring them in the present. 
and I have a hard time anticipating them positively. So it's kind of Sunday dinner. No. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I struggle with things that I feel don't serve a purpose. I'm very goal oriented. Mm. If I feel like kind of like Jen, if I've been given a task or I'm obligated to do something, but I don't see an actual purpose, like I'm like, I'm not learning. This doesn't actually, this serves literally no one other than to give me a task. Those things I have a really hard time with mm. um, and can become a little negative about them. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for talking about that, Katie. Uh, and then next we have Jenna, who's going to talk about flow. Jenna, what is flow? So flow would be called, you know, the being in the zone. When you're completely engrossed in an activity that you find rewarding um, and that challenges you too. It has to be something that like you are working on as a skill. So flow could be again inherently something that you are investing in as well. Like this needs to be something that's helping you grow as a person. Mm. And there can be faux flow, which is um, doing something that's too easy. This is a great example um, for your skill level. So you can do it too quickly. It doesn't take a lot of um, engagement to do that task like driving something that you're doing automatically reading um but true flow is again that difficulty equaling skill it makes you happier you're improving a skill um and the activity you're doing it a little bit better each time as well and you almost lose complete awareness of time when you're in flow mm -hmm. that in the zone yeah feeling. that in the zone thing like you get done with it and you're like whoa it's been two hours and I've been en deeply engrossed and engaged in this activity and I love it <laughs> and I have no sense of time when I'm deeply within flow um and so to look up and learn a little bit more about flow you can also go to a really good TED talk called flow the secret to happiness um and it was given by one of the founding researchers on flow Jenna, you said something here that, that I want to clarify a little bit. You talked about how you can get into this flow and then look up and go, oh my gosh, it's been three hours. Okay, how many of us do that on like social media garbage? And three <laughs> hours later, like, oh, I just got to check this real quick. And then you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. But it wasn't but really these hours. But you're not really that's increasing not a flow. Yeah, that's not increasing that's not a flow. skill. That's not difficult in any way. That's like reading or driving. It's an automatic thought an automatic action that you're doing that's mm -hmm. actually more like dissociation where we're checking out mm -hmm. flow is checking in that's a yes. really great way to put it i love that yeah so i just want to clarify that because i think people get that confused like if a lot of time has passed very quickly that means i was in flow that's not the definition of flow mm -hmm. it has to have several of these components all wrapped up into it mm -hmm. one of the ways that you can can like very quickly decide if the activity that you just spent three hours on when you really only had 10 minutes is a flow activity is when you're done, do you feel stronger? Oh, that's a good question. Or do you feel weaker? Do you feel like lower and drained, and drained than you weren't in flow? When you're done with this activity of flow, you feel like, wow, if that's not your experience, it wasn't flow. And we talk about that a little bit too in the strengths parenting book. They talk a little bit about flow, and then it is that as well, that this um, idea of it is something that is engaging, something that builds, and something that gives you energy. Absolutely. So I guess my question for you guys then would be, uh, what is an activity that, that you find flow in, and what puts you in the zone? 
Sleeping. <laughs> Sleeping is faux flow. She, she feels recharged when she wakes <laughs> up. I feel stronger if Hack I actually get to sleep. <laughs> Jenna, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts about that because I know you have like uh, creativity and curiosity in your top five, and you're a very like artistic person. Yeah, I'm and pretty much like any artistic or creative pursuit absolutely puts me in flow almost immediately. Even if it's frustrating and I'm struggling with it, like I can, I generally underbill for my services because I underestimate how long it took me to do something because <laughs> I am in flow. I'm like, oh, it was like two hours. <laughs> Jenna, that took you eight. <laughs> like, oh, 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 well, I enjoyed it. So <laughs> two hours, it two is. hours it is. <laughs> so definitely creative pursuits for me are absolutely. And then anything, um, it, it does say reading, but like a research project that I find particularly interesting, Ooh, yeah. I can get engrossed in that really easily. Go down the rabbit hole and I'm like, it's three hours later and I've been just, I went on a, on a deep dive on Freud or something. Yeah, and then you accidentally write like five <laughs> pages over the page limit right? for the essay and you're like, dang it. <laughs> this is too much. What about you? Yeah. Well, I, I was going to say like essays and research projects and stuff like that. And I know that sounds super nerdy, but um, I do I do really like writing, whether it's like a, a research project or like I, I like writing fiction that I don't allow anyone to read because I think most of the reason that people don't want to try writing is because they don't want people to read it. So don't don't let people read it. It doesn't matter. That's right. And I also really love I've taken a, a few. Um, what's the word? C ceramics classes at MSUB. And I just love working with clay because it's actually, there's a fair bit of like science and chemistry and physics involved in like doing ceramic stuff. And I'm just, I'm further cementing my reputation as a nerd I was just going to say, this is the nerdiest <coughs> interpretation of ceramics, but I love it. Yeah. But so, and especially wheel throwing, like when they're doing and the clay is spinning and they're trying to make it grow, go up. Um, that takes a lot of like concentration and thus that gets you into flow because it's like it's so engaging and you really have to give it your all in order to be successful about that. I would say for sure. I, so I'm a plant lady. Um, and, you know, it's funny. The longer you spend time with the, your plants, Is the more you that like a cat lady only different. Yeah. Yeah. You just collect plants exponentially. <laughs> okay. Just you can it. fit more in there than you can fit cats. So, yeah. And yeah. And I've noticed and the you don't have to empty the. The litter box. litter box. No. No. Yeah. No. Water Solid. those plants. Yeah, just gotta water them. And I realized too, the more, like, the longer you have plants, the more you realize they just wanna be left alone. Mm -hmm. They're like, can you just. Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I like my peace and quiet. That's what my mom likes to call me time. <laughs> when we leave someone at the house by themselves, plant she's time. Like, Enjoy your me time. <laughs> your time to yourself but yeah I uh yeah definitely they like to be left alone um <laughs> more than not but um when I do get into like okay it's time to do some plant chores like oh water the like water a little bit at a time I have quite a few plants to be honest with you I have like a room in my house and it's like the gym slash my dog's room slash the plant room slash my vanity and my closet. <laughs> so it's everything. Like a good room. Well, it's a multi-purpose room. It is. And she serves well. <laughs> but I'll go in there and I'll just, I'll start watering and they'll go, oh, this, you know, this one needs to be pruned a little bit. Oh, it's got some dead leaves. And then I'll go, oh, this one, you know, this one needs to, I need to kind of sift the dirt around and poke some holes in it. It looks mm -hmm. like I had too much water or, you know, whatever. Um, that I get lost in pretty easily and then I'll go, oh shoot, it's been like an hour. Oh, 
but all my plant chores are done and all my plants are happy and I feel happy too like being around them because yeah. it's also grounding as well to be like that's technically being a part of nature you're touching plants like living <laughs> living Love touching things. plants <laughs> so um yeah I would say <laughs> I lose Nelson's my flow laughing. in that way <laughs> I think there's two things that I can get into and time will pass as if it's just moments and it's been hours creating lectures and giving lectures that one i can see you're a very good like you guys engaging know this lecturer. like how many times have i gone over class like yeah. almost every time like that to me feels like flow it is creating this this structure that i hope is engaging for students and that they have aha moments in it and then presenting that and having that back and forth discussion that's flow for me completely and I can see that too, because when you lecture, you'll look at the PowerPoint you created and you'll read a bullet point and you'll go and you'll talk about it without looking back at that board for five minutes. And then you go, okay, where are we? What's the next bullet point? Mm -hmm. And you have to like find, find your spot again because you get so lost in that passion that you have for learning and teaching. And it's wonderful. You're wonderful too take a class from for sure. It makes the class really engaging too, because the energy that you get from teaching, it translates across to your students. Mm -hmm. So then we're also engaged. There's a back and forth. Yeah. So it keeps us engaged. We're like, oh, wow, this isn't just someone reading PowerPoints to me. So it's so much more engaging, though, when a teacher is really in love with the subject. Mm -hmm. Like, we can feel it because you feel it. And so that puts us also in that state of flow. And class goes quick for us, too. We're oh, like, good. oh, my gosh, it's almost over already. Right. I mean, and some of our class, well, all of your guys' classes are an hour and a half. Yeah. And I could I could go for three. Like, I could just, like, keep going. And I have to, we have to cut ourselves. Like, like nope, it's time. Stop. Shh. Yeah, I don't think I could sit on those hard chairs for three hours with us. The amount of times we go o would go over for like 10 minutes and you're like, um, you're supposed to be in this class, leave. Goodbye. <laughs> or sometimes the next will be, we'll have the same class, like in the same class. same class. Yeah, right. we'll have multiple classes in the same classroom and mm -hmm. then the new teacher from the next class will walk in like, hi, Cammy, are you done? Are you going to be quiet now? <laughs> it's my turn. Get out of my classroom. That's Dr. Haven. Yeah. Get out of my classroom. It's not your classroom. It's my classroom. Are you interrupting my class? <gasps> yeah, he's told me to get out of his class like at least twice, I think. <laughs> yeah. Take a number. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think those, I mean, and I think those things speak to like my character strengths of critical thinking and love of learning, mm. right? All of those things are wrapped up in my flow for me. So And love too. Like you, you love the course material and you love your students enough that you like want to teach us stuff that we're going to use like that's i love when the professors on the psych floor are like you guys are going to need this someday please listen <laughs> now is the time yeah mindfulness bring it all back in <laughs> okay let's be present yeah yeah awesome well thank you everyone for the discussion on flow so the last uh, mindfulness related topic that we're going to talk about is meditation and I got to confess, I thought that meditation and mindfulness were kind of the same thing for a long time. And hopefully some other people have thought that too, so I'm not alone. But they are not quite the same thing. It's kind of like rectangles and squares. So you can, uh, you can be mindful without meditating, but you can't meditate without being mindful. It's a very integral part of that. Uh, mindfulness, you can practice it anywhere, anytime, like we've talked about driving or just like in any day any everyday situation where you need to calm yourself down. But meditation is generally more like formal and structured. You can have uh, guided meditation led by like an app or an instructor. 
or you can have like a visual meditation, like you're concentrating on a person or an object and you're directing your intention toward that. Or it can be, you know, movement-based, like yoga or tai chi. There's a lot of different ways to accomplish meditation. But it, it is just generally usually more structured than regular mindfulness. So my question for you guys is, have you ever tried meditation of any kind, and how did it go for you? I can start and say that it has never gone very well because <laughs> I've... <laughs> like having this, uh, what I thought meditation was, was just like sitting and just like not thinking about anything, you know, but then. Um, and do you have critical thinking in your top five? Like that's impossible. Yeah. I'm not going to not think. What is this? But then um, I actually learned from Dr. K. This is just a huge Dr. K commercial here going on that uh, about things like loving kindness meditation or like guided meditations on apps or that kind of thing. And so trying those generally goes better for me. But I'd be interested to hear what you guys have to say on that. I do better with um, moving meditation. Like if it's a, a walk or an activity like like a yoga type meditation, mm -hmm. something that's moving. I have more difficulty sitting still. Um, my mind wanders far too much. So if my body's moving, I have an easier time kind of clearing and staying in that mindful space. Yeah. So um, I can sit and meditate. It just takes a lot more work. Yeah, <laughs> it does. A lot more effort. And I have to pretty much do a guided meditation to keep me focused and on track. Yeah, and I, I actually took a yoga class last semester, and my teacher said, like, if you guys are having trouble meditating, try and, like, move your body first, get your mind and body in sync, and then try and sit still. Like, if you're just going from 60 to zero, it's really not going to work out super well for you unless you're superhuman, so. That's great advice. I love yeah. that. Katie, what about you? So I like to use mindfulness that involves um, a lot of breath work for sure. Um, just focusing on that, giving something to pinpoint your attention, um, not necessarily trying to control all of your thoughts. Um, mm. You know, I know some some meditations are focusing everything on one thing or letting things pass through your thoughts, like and just letting them float by and like just non-judgmentally like acknowledging them, but then letting them go Um I like ones that are centered around breathing because it's just very calming. Um, and so that gets you like regulated and down back to earth. Yeah, it gives you something to focus on. Right, right. And then I think also ones that are, I don't know that it's necessarily visual, but things that kind of make you focus your attention in other ways. So uh, for instance, I use this one where it's, it's a lot of, it's breath work in combination with like kind of letting out bad energy. So mm. um, the one that I'm thinking of, it was very much like breathe in all your like positive expectations mm. and attitudes. And then like every time you're, you're exhaling like as like deeply as you can possibly exhale, you're letting out all your bad thoughts and all your negative energy and just any tension that you're surrounding, like and pushing it out through your breath mm. um, and kind of just to full expiration. Um, I think those are pretty neat. For yeah. Sure. Like making a metaphor out of your breathing to make it easier for you to conceptualize that. Yeah, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. And it's like a way to channel your thoughts too. Mm -hmm. So they're not like everywhere. Cause I know, you know, sometimes you think too much. So. ADHD. And I didn't. I didn't provide like an example of moving meditation. I'm sorry, Qigong, Qigong is a really good example of moving meditation, which is like breath work mixed with kind of like yoga, but it's more about like um, 
proper stance and movement and like moving your like ener- alignment. Yeah, and like moving your energy and being really mindful through it. Um, at the IPA conference that I just returned back from um, in in Canada, um, the Friday morning and s- no, maybe it was in the afternoon. There was an instructor, so it was one of the benefits of attending the conference. They did an early morning run at six a.m. If you wanted to along the waterfront in Vancouver, Ooh, no. Um, they oh, also did Vancouver, beautiful. And and I mean I I wasn't going to go at six a.m. <laughs> but I mean other people did right. So they had these other opportunities to move and and connect with the group in in ways other than sitting in a room listening to a workshop or a presentation. Um, they did have a yoga in the afternoon, and they also had qigong in the mm-hmm. afternoon as well. Usually, and so these were things you could do, and it was. It was, they knew, like, they, these are people local to Vancouver who came into our conference and, and for no cost to the participants in the conference could just go and do this. And they were aware, like, we're in business casual. Like, I'm not doing certain things <laughs> in my slacks. Or, like, and so they, they were able to modify it to make it comfortable for anybody, no matter what they were wearing, to just come and participate and just reset in between sessions, right? Oh, it was that's lovely. That's lovely. really cool. Yeah. Qigong is one that you usually see people in parks doing, where they're like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a visual right. that our listeners can't see. But, right. <laughs> um, like, there's often groups that meet in parks and mm-hmm. that do that. Because right. it's a natural one, but it's really yeah. beautiful and really centering. That's right. really cool. I would like to find a group somewhere here locally in I Billings that could look do for that. Because um, I would like to, because I've never experienced that oh. part of it. When I do yoga, I'm so not mindful. Like, it's so ridiculous. And mm. I'm definitely never n- meditating. But I would like to do something that had slower things that maybe are not such extreme. Yeah, it's in, very, in the yoga it's movement. very intentional, slow movement. <laughs> right, mm. right. So, anyway, yeah. yeah. And then I, I of course, um, use apps a lot for my meditation. Like, like I, I have to have something that's really moving me forward. It's not something that I do well on my own. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's how I use meditation. Cool. Do you I, do I find it very easy to ignore my apps notifications that I'm supposed to be doing those things. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I have yet to figure out how to, like, overcome... <laughs> Well, we it's have called <laughs> perseverance. Is it? Ah, oh, that's it. That's why. Well, we also have a there very, <laughs> very notification saturated world. That, that too. Like this like person so liked true. your thing on Instagram. This person friended you on LinkedIn. This person did this and this and this. Like, there's so much that I think our brain just like for survival is like I cannot do. Well, you can't attune to all these things all the time. Yeah, for sure. So I, I'm just saying I can't say I blame you. Mm-mm. Well, Mm-mm. I blame me. Because it is clearly it. my perseverance. <laughs> non-judgment. Non-judgment. What did we talk oh. about? It's oh my gonna goodness. It's going to be in my non-judgment. I'm going to work on it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Anybody have anything else before we wrap up? Okay. Well, I thought this was totally cool, you guys. I think just, just reviewing mindfulness and the separating it from savoring and flow and meditation and just understanding the history of where this comes from and that this is such an ancient um, practice. And it's it's ancient for a reason because it is worthwhile. It is helpful. It's going to help you if you can um, use one of the resources that we've mentioned today. 
Um, so to wrap up today, how did you use your powers for good last week? Uh, I've been working on using my zest more lately, and zest is kind of just like love of life, like being like vibrant and enthusiastic. Like you, you, you know someone who has zest in their top five. Like you can picture that person as I'm saying that, and um, it's not. It doesn't come very naturally to me because I'm so high on judgment. I'm just constantly thinking and uh, like overanalyzing situations. So I've been trying to use my zest and kind of almost use it as savoring maybe a little bit and just try and be really in love with the life that I have because I do have objectively a, a pretty good life like it's nothing fantastic but I there's a lot of things that I should work on being more in love with and it makes me an easier person to be around I think especially for my spouse poor thing but yeah just working on using my zest and just really being in love with everything that I have just it can it kind of just makes everything better yeah so Anyone else? Um, I, again, am working on my ones that are not high. So mm. I took my two lowest, which were humility and honesty. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I flubbed while I was uh, making a reservation with an Airbnb. It was supposed oh. to be for two nights, and I only clicked it for one night. Oh, no. And didn't realize until the next morning when the host was like, hey, it's 11. Have you checked out? And I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I have messed this up. So anyway, I had to be very honest that it was my mistake. I had totally done this thing. I very much messed up and like had to find an Airbnb for oh, everybody. No. And it was fine. It all worked out, but like had to be very honest that it was very much just my mistake. Mm-hmm. Right. And something that I just completely did from an oversight. Right. But um, I have not always in the past been so willing to like admit that something was very much just my fault. And I was like, nope, thousand percent, my bad. Yeah. We want to yeah. preserve people's opinions of ourselves. We're like, no, that absolutely was not no, my totally fault. Not I can't me. believe that you was asked. That was the website messed up or something. Yeah. I'm like, no, that was, that was, <laughs> that was, that was just me. That was human error. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I have bravery in my top. It's my number seven. Love it. Lucky number seven. <laughs> So um, I'd say I used that and just overcoming fears of like um, just how I'm perceived and like relationships that are kind of hard for me in my personal life um, and just using that bravery to just be like, it's going to it's going to be fine and not in a like anxious way either. And like it's really going to be okay, and just put your best foot forward and. If people perceive you the wrong way, that's on them. And just not really worrying about it and just being brave enough to be myself, mm-hmm. um, which can be really hard when you put walls up with people and feel not really safe around people or, you know, you're just scared like because you just don't know how certain interactions are going to go or how people might treat you. So I think um, I just been using bravery with multiple people in my life, um, just that I tend to have a harder relationship with and just not worrying about if something's going to come up Mm. as a result of me standing up for myself or me being myself and just letting things happen and not worrying about the reaction that I'm going to get from it and just doing what's best for me. That's really mature. Yeah. Nice work. Yeah. That's huge. Letting go of ego in like big, big ways. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, Katie. I think for me, the thing that's coming up for me is I think we've, I think we've talked about this, maybe not on the podcast, but I decided that for the eight-week summer session, I was going to ride my bike eight and a quarter miles to campus and back, so 16 and a half miles every day. 
And um, I went to a conference and didn't ride my bike for two weeks. And I went, oh, (laughs) (laughs) I have to ride my bike for two more weeks. You committed. And um, and I, I actually, when I'm on my bike, I love riding my bike. It's just that motivation to actually initiate it and get it mm-hmm. going, right? Once I'm on it, it's fine, and, and I enjoy it. Um, but the, the thing coming back from the conference was that I had so much energy, and I was still getting all my steps in. I was still getting all my exercise minutes in because I was walking a lot, and, and my husband and I spent a lot of time out exploring Vancouver and things. And... Um, but I had energy and, and, and changing from a pretty sedentary last couple of years with very little exercise to riding my bike at that intensity. I would come home after my workday was done, which, you know, varies depending on how much time I spend on campus. And I'd be exhausted. Mm. And I was not getting anything else done when I got home. I was just like done. And I'm like, I can't keep doing that. I have the fall semester's coming. I have too many other things going on. I just told you guys about flow and how preparing lectures and, and giving lectures was so important to me. And I'm not finding any time to do it because I'm so exhausted. And so I was like, do I really want to get back on my bike for the last two weeks? You have so much to do. And so getting on my bike, riding it, coming home, and then going, yep, you're tired. Go sit down and go do the things that you need to do to continue to make progress towards the fall semester. Again, that's got to be perseverance. And critical thinking is part of that, too. Mm -hmm. But I chose to, I only got one week left of having to ride my bike to campus. I'm like, Mm. but I was actually surprised that getting back on my bike after two weeks was easier than I thought. I wasn't, didn't have as much difficulty as I thought I was going to. And I'm actually not as tired as I have been before the conference. So I'm not actually having to persevere as hard as I thought I was going to have to, which to me means, okay, it's working. Like my Mm -hmm. body is changing and being modified by this commitment that you made to yourself. So that was my perseverance this last week is like, ride your bike, do your thing and having enough energy and time to continue to do the other things. We would love to have you come to our website and take the Via Character Strength survey. The website address is naturallystrongmt.com. You can also click on the link in our show notes. Naturally Strong is sponsored by the Center for Wellbeing. The Center for Wellbeing is a women-led organization using research-based programs to provide awareness and education in fostering positivity and resilience. The staff at the Center for Wellbeing believe that creating authentic connections and community involvement are essential in empowering individuals to harness their unique strengths and flourish in all areas of life. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks to our co-hosts, Jenna, Katie, and Emma, for joining me during this informative discussion on mindfulness. We hope the information was beneficial to you. As always, thanks for listening to Naturally Strong. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us and be sure to come back next time for part two of this episode, a discussion of the applications of mindfulness. Until then, this is Cameron Nelson, and don't forget to use your powers for good. This podcast was created, produced, and recorded by Cameron and Rachel Nelson, researched by Emma Power, marketed by Addie Nelson, and edited by Rachel Nelson. Naturally Strong is a product of the Center for Wellbeing and is recorded in the vault at Rock 31.